Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. I had some unusual disruptions today, was not able to complete what I had hoped to preach this evening, but for this I'm grateful the Lord doeth all things well. Something has been on my heart, and this is the opportunity to preach it. I didn't know that St. Clarence was here. And I am delighted beyond words that he and this family are here. <clears throat> now the room feels right. Matthew chapter 5, please stand with me. We're going to read that portion of Holy Scripture called the Beatitudes. This was something we did many, many years ago. But we're returning to one place this evening. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 1. These are God's holy words. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Holy Father, we have had a most precious season of prayer. I pray that our hearts are well encouraged and built up in the faith that our desire is for Christ and to hear his truth, that we might hear our prophet speaking to us, that we might know our intercessor is making our prayers beautiful and setting them in the ears, in the audience of our almighty Father. And Father, I thank thee for our King who rules us with wisdom, love, Glory and mercy. Now, O oh God, help us to hear thy word. And may it be to thy everlasting glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Jesus is sitting on a mountain teaching. He is teaching us from the portion of Scripture that we call the Beatitudes. Many years ago, we took this subject up, but I want to approach it in a fresh way. The Beatitudes introduce the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher that ever lived. As Jesus teaches, we learn what it means to be citizens of God's kingdom. Citizens of God's kingdom in this world, not merely the world to come. So now we take up one specific beatitude. The title of our message is God's Blessed Peacemakers. And may our Heavenly Father grant us light and life and knowledge by the power of His Spirit. And as Christ Jesus taught His disciples so long ago, 
May he teach us this transforming truth. Well, let us consider this first. Christ's progression of thought. It's easy for us to look at these individual verses without realizing that our Lord is knitting a thought that wonderfully unfolds before us here. <clears throat> First, we want to answer the question, what is a beatitude? Uh, that's one of those religious words, kind of part of the furniture. Very often we don't know how to tell somebody what it is. The Greek word translated blessed in our text uh, it does mean blessed. It also means fortunate, and it means happy. Now, some modern translations of the Bible use the word happy instead of blessed. That's not entirely incorrect. But being blessed and being happy are not necessarily the same thing. And the scriptures make that abundantly clear. Blessed means being privileged to receive God's favor. Now, someone that is receiving the favor of God ought to be happy. But it is the, the extraordinary thought that God in His mercy would reach down and pour out His goodness upon those who deserve nothing but His wrath and His anger. A blessed person is in the greatest condition that a human being can experience. Why? I don't think we consider that very often. Blessed just sounds like one of those religious words. But it is the greatest experience we can know because the sovereign creator of heaven and earth, the sovereign creator of the universe has poured out his goodness upon that person rather than his eternal wrath. So Jesus began the Beatitudes this way. First, blessed are the poor in spirit. That doesn't sound happy, does it? But it is a blessing. And we see that difference, I trust. A heart transformed by God's saving grace is an extraordinary gift from God. There's no greater gift to us than a heart to receive Christ Jesus, our Savior and Lord. <clears throat> and this whole idea of being poor in spirit begins with a genuine poverty, with a clear realization when the Spirit of God reveals to us our sinfulness. And then we see our need for Christ. We see that we're empty. We see that we have nothing to offer to God that he will receive. So that we might come into his presence. Nothing whatsoever. That's a blessed condition. That is the mercy of God. That is the sovereign grace of God moving in your soul. And when we see our need... And God has breathed life upon us. We recognize that we must depend entirely upon the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no greater blessing than that poverty. Poverty is not always happiness, is it? <laughs> but this is great blessedness. Secondly, blessed are they that mourn. This doesn't sound happy. Mourning never sounds happy. When God blesses us by revealing our need for Christ, we mourn over the filthiness, the ugliness of our sin, the nastiness of our rebellions. And this leads us to number three, blessed are the meek. God's grace reveals our spiritual poverty when we mourn over our wickedness and bow in humble submission to Him. That submission to God, that heart brought low, head bowed before Him, 
crying out for mercy to Christ, it's a great blessing. It's a blessing beyond our capability of making it happen. It's not a switch we can flip on or off. It's something that God does. It's a kindness that God shows the unkind. It is the mercy that he shows to those that are often merciless. It is the kindness and goodness of a God who saves sinners. Number four, dependent, repentant, and submissive believers hunger and thirst for righteousness. If God is dealing with you at all, you not only see what's absent in you, you begin to long and crave for righteousness. Righteousness in your thinking, righteousness in your words, righteousness in the way you live and treat and interface with others. You want to be righteous and you want to live righteously. You were not born of God's Spirit if that isn't so. You don't know this blessing if that isn't so. The Holy Spirit helps us realize our greatest need, and that is need for Christ, need for pardon, need for God Himself. When we yearn to be righteous, we are manifesting God's blessing to us. When we yearn to live a righteous life, we are manifesting blessing, God's great goodness. Fifth, Blessed are the merciful. When we are blessed with God's great mercy, we become merciful. We manifest, we show the blessing that has been shown to us. Crimped, crabby, unforgiving, unmerciful people may go to church, but they haven't been blessed. Not with this blessing. We need this blessing. It manifests the goodness of our God shining forth in our lives, even when we're unconscious of it, when we are showing mercy because he's been merciful to us. That is a blessing. Hmm. And then sixth, our Lord said, blessed are the pure in heart. Being blessed with a pure heart means that the power of God's Holy Spirit has made you a new man, as the scripture says, a new creature. Regeneration is God's breathing life into a dead, a darkened soul, raising them from the dead. But it's not just the impartation of life it's the cleansing and that cleansing of course comes from the blood of Christ Jesus our Lord the precious blood of Christ cleanses us we are not pure in heart because we make ourselves a little better than we were yesterday we are pure in heart when the Holy Spirit washes us with the water of the word cleanses us with the blessed blood of Christ Jesus our Savior and then in that life in which a new heart now informs and beats, well, then we have new motives. We have new intentions. We have new goals. We have new life. Now that's the train of the Lord's thought here, which brings us to the verse we want to consider. Christ's declaration of God's blessing upon peacemakers, upon peacemakers it stands to reason if indeed the blessing of God is manifested in that incredible soul poverty and the things that Christ himself has unfolded here it means that 
All of those things ought to be producing people that are peacemakers. Not gripers, whiners, always picking other people apart, always finding something to be upset about. Oh, so righteous that we can't stand anybody but ourselves. Not talking about people like that. It's talking about those who desire to make peace. One of the clearest, clearest marks that you've been born of God's spirit is his peace manifesting in your life and your desire to spread it. Peacemakers. Our precious Redeemer opened his mouth. His disciples sitting and hearing these extraordinary teachings. And he said, blessed, knowing the wonderful mercy, grace, and goodness of a sovereign God. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. Jesus proclaimed that peacemakers are indeed in a state of blessing. Christ described the citizens of the kingdom of heaven as peacemakers. Again, we must listen carefully to what Jesus said. He did not say, blessed are the peaceful. He did not say, blessed are the peace-loving. Nor did he say, blessed are the peacekeepers. Not that any of those things are bad. It just isn't what Jesus is talking about. What does new creation from heaven manifest as a peacemaker? In other words, every single believer, everyone that can in some way or another see God's work in his life in these marvelous uh, uh, descriptions of God's people, these wonderful beatitudes. Peacekeeper ought to be one of them, and it ought to be obvious. It obvious, not somebody else, oh, he's a nice, peaceful guy, but... I am pursuing in the situations where God puts me not to stoke the fire of outrage and war with each other. Not to do things that stumble my brothers, my sisters. Not to do things that destroy the peace that Christ has purchased with his blood. But to do everything in our power to be peace makers they're blessed of god they know the mercy the grace of god they're the people that'll be called god's children so jesus the god man said blessed are the peace makers now that brings us to the important biblical theme of peace all of us i'm sure have read throughout the bible that the word peace shows up in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It's a very important theme that you can study through the Bible. And you begin to learn more and more about the radiance of what this really is if you're looking at it and looking for it and desiring to be a peacemaker. The words translated, and there are several in, in Hebrew and in Greek, that can be translated peace in both testaments, join with other important theological subjects in Scripture. And that makes peace one of the most important themes in the Bible. So then, let us consider the meaning of peace in the Old Testament for just a few moments. The primary word for peace in the Hebrew is shalom. I imagine everyone has heard someone say that at some time or another. It appears over 250 times in the Old Testament. But sometimes it means the absence of strife. But the AV translates it 
with 30 other terms. That shows how broad the meaning of the word is. It covers a lot of ground. It can mean the absence of war. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites, 1 Samuel 7.14. But more often, peace is the opposite of any disturbance to the well-being of God's people. Let me repeat that. More often in the Old Testament, peace is the opposite of any disturbance to the well-being of God's people. In other words, one of the things that should characterize God's people is peace and the intent not to disturb the well-being of God's people. The Old Testament makes clear that God is the giver of peace. He alone is the fountain from which it flows. Listen carefully to Leviticus 26, 6. And I will give peace in the land, and ye shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. It's getting harder and harder to say that about this country. Why do you think that is? Because this nation is not at peace with God. So we're not going to know his peace here. Again, Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 26. We all know this. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. That's blessing from God. Peace in the land. Peace in your home. Peace in the church is the work of God. And it ought to be coming out of his people who are striving to keep his peace. Again, Psalm 29, 11. The Lord will bless, pour out his goodness upon his people with peace. With peace. Absence of war and disturbance among God's people. To greet someone with shalom means to wish them God's peace. That's a sweet thing to do. It is to wish them God's well-being. It means to wish God's salvation upon them. This peace arises out of God's holy character. And it comes to his people through the covenants that he made with them. When they walk in his covenants, there's peace. When they're not walking in his covenants, there's an absence of peace. God promised this. In Isaiah 54.10, For the mountain shall depart, the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed. <clears throat> now, peace is God's blessing of the absence of strife between him and his people. And peace is his bestowal of well-being and salvation upon them. So then why is there no peace on earth? It's been the cry since my generation in the 60s. Peace, peace. And, and many today in the, the, the various movements that are uh, attempting to govern this world they say, here, we're going to have peace. We're going to have a world without war. Do you understand what they mean when they say that? When they say, we'll have a world without war, it means they rule. And there won't be any rule. Uh, there, won't be any, there won't be any lack of peace because they will rule with an iron fist. And they will make sure that any uprising, any disturbance will be crushed immediately. 
that's the world that's here and it's making itself more obvious. <clears throat> so let's talk about the loss of peace and the enemy of peace. The Old Testament tells us, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. There was no strife. There was no disturbance. There was no war. All was peace. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? I wish it weren't so hard to imagine. God then created Adam and put him in the Garden of Eden. God commanded the man of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, there wasn't any death up to this point. What did Adam relate that to? It'd be interesting to know what he thought when he heard the word die. That wasn't an experience he had. It wasn't an experience he could see in somebody else. <clears throat> Maybe it was because they knew so much being uh, sinless and being in constant communion with God, maybe there was something that the Lord taught them about dying. But we know this. God said, if you do this, you're going to die. And that dying meant the end of peace. <clears throat> all was well. All was safe. All was peaceful while Adam and Eve obeyed God. There was peace on earth. There was goodwill toward men. Adam and Eve didn't argue about what was for dinner, right? There wasn't any argument. There was oneness. A genuine, pure, holy, right, good peace. Everywhere, everywhere. Until a cunning serpent deceived the woman. Now, we all know the story here. <clears throat> he said, you shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Eve believed that lie. She ate of the forbidden fruit, and she gave it to Adam. World history instantly changed. Instantly. Those four words, I've said this many times from this pulpit, those four words, and he did eat. Peace between God and man vanished, gone. Peace between man and woman vanished. Peace between parents and children vanished. Peace in all human relationships vanished. Let us see what sin did to the first generation of Adam's children in Genesis 4.8. It came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. All war, all murder, all violence, all rape, all hostility, all backstabbing, all gossip, all hateful words, all divorce, all divisions in families, and all church splits, all strife rises from sin. There's never a time that any of those things happen that it isn't caused by sin or is sin or is both. Sin is the forever enemy of peace. <clears throat> Thankfully, there's a promise of peace. 
in their fallen state, sinful people would never have found their way back to God and to true peace. Never. They would never have been reconciled to God. They would never have the slightest hope of true and lasting peace. For that reason, God made this promise in Genesis 3.15. Again, a familiar passage to us, but I wonder how many times we actually connect this in our minds to peace. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Notice, violence on the way to peace. There was going to have to be some violence before we reached the peace that God would bring. Now, that is the first declaration of the gospel. That's the first announcement of Jesus Christ. That is the first announcement of peace returning to sinful men. For that reason, God promised Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, In thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Among the numerous blessings, one of them is peace. Now, for that reason... God promised through Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Now let us consider the meaning of peace in the New Testament. This theme not only works its way all the way through the Old Testament, but it is clear and on display in the New Testament. The Greek word for peace carries the similar idea as shalom in the Old Testament. Peace is a state of harmony, a condition of well-being, the absence of war, strife, disturbance. The Greek originally meant a cessation from war. Then it went to be used in a number of other ways. The New Testament usually uses it in a spiritual sense. So now consider this very carefully. Peace is an invasion of history by the world to come. Peace in this world through Jesus Christ is an invasion in this place of darkness and sorrow and sadness, broken hearts, broken fellowships. It's an invasion of the world to come into this world. That's a welcome invasion. The great announcement of peace comes to or comes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, a passage we all know, Luke 2.14 at his birth, the heavenly host announced glory to God in the highest. Glory and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men, or sometimes translated toward men of goodwill. But either way, the point is peace. It is peace because of his sacrifice on Calvary's cross. Jesus is the prince of peace. He alone brought peace to Israel and to the Gentiles. In his life, Jesus was a peacemaker. He worked peace. He promised peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. And when you're afraid, you're not at peace, are you? I don't know how many times any of you have ever been really scared, really afraid. But when those moments come, they can be paralyzing. The one thing you don't feel is peace. The Lord said, mm, don't let your heart be troubled. 
Lord, have you seen what's going on in our world? You see what's going on in my friendships, in my family, in my congregation, in my government, in my... Now he says, my peace I give to you. And that's a peace that cannot be broken. It cannot disappear forever. If it's his peace, it's a lasting peace. It's a peace between us and God because of the blood of Jesus. And that's our peace forever if we have repented and believed on him. No matter what's going on around us, we can be at peace with God. And that's the peace to have. And that's the invasion of the world to come in our hearts in this world. That's blessed are the peace receivers. <laughs> but if we're peace receivers, we ought to be peace makers. Because we are at peace with God. It ought to be our mission. Every one of us. To say. I will be a peacemaker. In the situations in which God puts me. Not just okay. Well I've got this fight going. I hope somebody will fix it. It will be no. What do I need to do? How do I need to die to myself? What actions of self-denial? What things that are personally important to me do I put aside so that there's peace that brings glory to God? We always want the peace. How good are we at making it? When you're making it as well as you're wanting it, you're making some progress, right? Mm -hmm. I like peace. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus went on to say, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me, that's the key, in me you might have peace. And in the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Now, how do you put those two sentences together? You will have tribulation. That's not real happy. But, Cheer up. Cheer up. I've overcome the world. The power of the world to come invades our hearts. It intrudes into the, our history by Christ. And that peace that is here in which we rest, we ought to yearn and crave to see around us. I guarantee you, there's no place to pursue that with all your heart except under Jesus' cross. If any man will follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and deny himself and follow me. Peace is welded to our mortifying selfishness and desiring what peace we have in Christ for others. Jesus has overcome the world. How did he do th how did he do that? <laughs> how did he do that? How did he overcome the world? He looked like a failure everywhere he went. Everybody wanted them wanted him to feed them, wanted him to heal them. Wanted him to do all the miracles that they'd been hearing about. But when it came time for Passover, in that last week of his life, things got really ugly. The same people said, crucify him. It looked like he failed. Jesus looked like he failed. I've said it before, I say it to you again. Look at the place of a skull Look at Christ hanging, writhing in agony, in unspeakable pain and suffering, in every breath that he takes, in every moment of being conscious. But he was overcoming the world. He was conquering the world, and he conquered death. <clears throat> he says, now, I'm the source of your peace. 
because I made peace for you with my Father. In the world, you'll have tribulation. That's his word. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In his death and in his resurrection, Jesus was a peacemaker. He was a peacemaker. He wasn't just the man of peace, but a peacemaker. Those words are vital. <clears throat> the law of God was our mortal enemy. The law of God was our mortal enemy, condemning us for our sin and our wickedness with no mercy. We were at war with God. War with God. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It is hostile. It is the enemy of God. It is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. It can't be. It can't be. But in Christ's broken body and shed blood, he saved us and united us in peace with God. Complete peace. Because every single sin was paid for in his precious blood. Every crime that I've committed against heaven washed away in that crimson tide. And that puts us at peace with God. It puts us at peace with God. In Christ's broken body, he saved us. He united us in peace with God. His sorrow, his agony, his chaos, his calamity won our peace. There's the violence. We can only have absolute and eternal peace with God because of God's violence and the utter absence of peace that Christ had on the cross. God wasted all his vengeance and wrath upon his precious son. Oh, my friends, God poured out his hatred and loathing for his son for our sin as he warred with the most horrifying weapon against his son, his wrath. And as he exerted his most dreadful violence upon his son's body and soul, he won our peace forever, forever at peace with God. Well, I failed today. Look at the cross and be at peace with God. Well, I had a, had a rough day. I wasn't real sweet with the children. Look at the cross. Well, we didn't get along today at church or at work or at, you know, just fill in the blanks. Where's your peace? They all disappear in those kind of situations, but they're restored. It's like recharging. We see that Christ has won an everlasting peace. And that means a peace that we will know for all eternity is ours to taste in this world at peace with God. Are you at peace with God? If you're not at peace with God, it's not likely that you're at peace with those around you. Or you might find those two or three people that you get along with. Well, what about the rest of the people in the congregation that just irritate you so much? How about it? Are you saying, how can I be a peacemaker? Or, hmm, Lord, don't you think maybe you could find another church for him? Brethren, have we given ourselves to being peacemakers? Maybe if we're not, maybe it's because we're not enjoying the peace God has given us in Christ. Maybe we've forgotten where the fountain of peace is. Maybe we just want things around us to work out okay, and then we're at peace. But Jesus says, no, you're going to have tribulation, and I'm going to give you my peace. <clears throat> Sometimes that tribulation may be God's 
blessing so that you will cast yourself upon that everlasting peace, that sweet peace where you know there's no anger in your heavenly Father, no matter who in this world is angry with you. And they're not usually far from you. Oh, my friends, what wonderful peace. What peace there is in Christ Jesus. This is why Jesus announced to his people after his resurrection, peace be with you. That wasn't just a greeting. But the power of the world to come in the risen Christ stood before them and he could greet them with what they needed. Peace, peace, peace is laying down the weapons of our sins against God at the foot of the cross. Want to be at peace? Surrender. Wave the white flag and say, I'm, I'm tired of fighting you. Lay down your arms. Cast yourself at the foot of the cross and say, oh, Christ, cleanse me. And peace me. Peace is the knowledge of God's forgiveness. The knowledge of God's forgiveness and resting in it. Peace is a sense of Christ risen and Christ ruling in our hearts. Oh man. When things start closing in and everything seems to be collapsing. To know that Christ is ruling and reigning is peace. Do you go there or do you just go to the panic room? Where do you go? Go to Christ. Go get with Christ. Peace is a consciousness of everlasting life. There's something bigger than the problems you're facing right now. There is something much greater than the problems you're facing. You say, well, my, my problems look like a hundred Goliaths, all right? They're nothing compared to Christ. Nothing. Trust him and sling. Well, brethren, peace is a taste of heaven on earth. That should be... That should be something that we know. It should be something that we all nod our heads knowingly. Yeah, peace on earth. Because heaven has entered my soul. The power of God by his spirit. Well, the crucial role of being a peacemaker. Let's consider this just for a few moments. With all these things in mind, from the Old Testament to the New, peace is a major theme. But it shouldn't just be a theme in the Bible. It should be the experience of our lives. Real peace. What then is a peacemaker? A peacemaker is a person with a pure heart who works to reconcile other people to God and to one another. In other words... God's blessing does not rest simply upon someone who is passively peaceful, not doing anything. God bestows his favor upon those who are actively working to bring God's peace to human beings, to restore their relationship to him and with one another, even when they're professing to be his people. Most people on the, the most peaceful people on the planet or to be God's people. And that hasn't been my experience. There's always trouble. Shouldn't be that way in Christ's churches. People ought to be able to walk in here. Strangers ought to be able to walk in here and feel the peace that comes from the oneness of loving one another with a self-denying love. God bestows his favor 
on those active workers. <clears throat> a peacemaker does all he can to promote God's peace in private and public, at home and abroad. He works for peace on earth. But it doesn't come from big organizations. It doesn't come with all these multi-lettered organizations that simply want you under their boots. It comes when we're living as kingdom citizens. That's why Jesus is giving this entire Sermon on the Mount. Kingdom citizens are part of the kingdom now. And their purpose is to preach Christ crucified, Christ the King, Christ the prophet, Christ the glorious priest, Christ the ruler, the Lord God omnipotent. Well, Christ's promise is that peacemakers will be called God's children. That's encouraging. We need to take that very seriously. In fact, we ought to look in the mirror and say, and this mirror, the biblical one, am I a peacemaker? Lord, if you save me and I'm a citizen of your kingdom, am I spreading that peace of the world to come with my brothers, with my sisters, in my family? It's a good question, one we need to answer. First of all, God is the great peacemaker without the mercy, grace, and love of our great God. Without knowing it, without experiencing it, without feeling and knowing the very power of God's Spirit in our souls. Unless we know the peace that passeth all understanding, it's going to be hard for us to make that work for someone else. Isn't it? I'd like to tell you about something I've never experienced. Hope you get it. No. Brethren, if we're at peace with God, we ought to want everybody around us to know that peace. You see, <clears throat> the world will be at peace when Jesus reigns. And you see, that's what all the cults, that's what all the movements try to counterfeit. Muslims, they say we're for world peace. They believe it. They do. But they believe that it, there will be world peace when they rule the world. And Allah rules the world. That's precisely what the communists believe. There will be world peace when we rule. And when everybody's on board with us and we'll just happen to get rid of everybody that isn't on board with us. Now, brethren, God is going to bring his people. And I don't know how we will see this and I don't know when we will see this, but I am absolutely Assured by this book, the day will come when the glorious reign of Christ and all the nations from shore to shore will bow before him. There will be peace. It pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things to himself. There it is. By him, I say, whether they be things in heaven, things on earth, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. It was God's violence to Jesus that purchased for us eternal peace. And our lives ought to be marked by it. Well, <clears throat> God's children should be peacemakers. If this is our king, then his children ought to show something of the family resemblance, right? No, we're all faulty when it comes to this, but there at least ought to be obvious. Where's the peacemaker? Not just the griper. Not just the one who's always been out of shape about something. God 
as the supreme peacemaker and his children should manifest that. They should manifest it first in their own lives. They should be at peace with their God and then they should share that peace with others. Peacemaking is the family resemblance of God's children. The fruit of the spirit in God's people. The fruit of the spirit. Those marks, those things hanging off the limbs of your life. That fruit that should be growing. Love, joy, peace. Peace. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and all the rest. We cannot believe ourselves to be the children of God unless we are peacemakers. Not just peaceful, but peacemakers. God owns and blesses his peacemaking children now. We know the blessing of God, the wonderful goodness. So much of that goodness just is in the peace that we have. To be at peace when everything else seems to be falling apart. And in that great day of judgment, God will own and declare all believing peacemakers as his for all eternity. That's one of mine right there. You can see in family resemblance. He was down there making peace. Doing his best. Well, we must learn to cultivate peace then in our hearts. Are you with me? In your heart, cultivate that peace by communing with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. We'll be talking more about that on the Lord's Day. But you've got to cultivate peace in your heart. We live in a world that is, has lost its mind. I want to say it's losing our mind. I think Brother Clarence and I would have said that for the last decade. But now it's like, well, it's gone. Just keep looking at what's happening. You've got to cultivate peace in your heart. There are things that are going on in your family. There are things that are going on maybe in your church. There are things going on in your business. There are things going on all around you that can utterly destroy your peace, or at least for the moment. But that's when we need to get alone with the Lord and cultivate His peace. Lord, you loved me before the foundation of the world. You knew me. You knew the fool that I would be. You rescued me from my dung heap. You came to me in your grace. Oh, how I thank thee for making peace between us. And be at peace. Be peaceful before your God. Isaiah 26, 3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Can't think of anything better when, when things are exploding around you. Be careful for nothing, says Paul, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Excuse me, what? By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts. I wonder if we don't have the peace that we should have because we don't pray as we ought. I mean, it's Paul. <laughs> Paul's in prison when he writes that. <laughs> That's not generally a sweet place. People don't have wonderful, you know, family memories from being chained to a wall. But he said, oh, no, here's, here's what we do. We pray. We pray. We pray to our God. There's that peace that comes, and it does. If you sit there, sometimes if you have a, Wild asses cult of a mind like I do. I mean, it takes a while to get that donkey settled down when I'm trying to pray. But then it gets peaceful. And we talk to God. And we know that he hears us. And then we can have some peace. Lord, you know I don't know what to do next. I don't know where to put my foot down. But there are times when you can say, I don't know what I'm doing and you're going to have to help me. And that wonderful peace is right there. Well, we must learn to cultivate peace in our home. My son, forget not my law, but let, my, let thine heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace. 
shall they add to thee. Hmm. I'll get to the end. We're out of time. I want to just drop anchor momentarily for this. We must learn to cultivate peace not only in our hearts, not only in our families, but in our church. Cultivate peace. That means working at it. Discord among brethren, what a tragedy. And it's way too common. What an insult to heaven. Are you hearing me? What an insult to heaven when there's discord among the brethren. It's even worse when the rift begins and people start taking sides. Who is on the Lord's side? That's the only side I care about. And I mean that. Someone that was going to leave the congregation here in 2021 said to me in that very sad few months that we experienced, what shocked me was how fast the sides divided up. Are you hearing that? Are you ready to do that again? Or are you a peacemaker? it's an insult to heaven for us to be divided when we should be working on peace. I'm not saying there are times when there aren't true disagreements, real disagreements that must be worked through. Of course, that's human. But it says, let us therefore follow after things which make for peace. Or are you always going to harp on somebody about that thing that you think and they don't think it? Are you looking for peace? Are you looking to conquer? Mm-hmm. Paul commands us making for peace things whereby we may edify another. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace. Follow peace. Find a way to make peace. With them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Follow peace with all men, says the epistle to the Hebrews. And holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. James write, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Well, we should also cultivate peace in our world. I can say that simply by preaching the gospel and calling our neighbors and calling all that we can to Christ Jesus, the King of Peace. So, my beloved brethren, the the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace. Peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Joy. Humanity lost peace with God in the Garden of Eden. God restored true lasting peace with humanity on the cross of Jesus Christ, his son. All those who repent and believe on the Lord Jesus will know peace. Peace in this world and perfect peace throughout all eternity. That's the guarantee of scripture. Blessed are the peacemakers. God's blessed peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. So let us look to Christ in faith and to know his peace. Amen. Father, how we thank thee that thou hast given peace to us in Jesus. Peace. Real peace. I'm asking thee to breathe thy peace into the hearts of this congregation and to every one of thy churches across the face of this earth. Father, may every true church of Christ clearly cultivate such a peace that one of the drawing cards...
to the glorious kingdom of Christ and to the faith of our beloved crucified and resurrected Savior is the manifest peace of its people. Help us, O God. Help each one of us to determine that we will be, by the blessing of God, peaceful and peacemakers. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Please.